Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I'm Susanna Constantine, and this is my wardrobe malfunction. And this is a special compilation episode with many of my favorite moments from the podcast in 2021. So... Let's grab the handles, open my wardrobe doors, and find out what's inside. Jane Seymour. My mother had one of those, you know, singer sewing machine things. We also learned how to embroider um, and, uh, and knit and crochet. And I needed money, and we didn't have money. Uh, certainly not for um, point shoes, and I was going through them maybe a pair a week. So um, the only way I could make money was by making something and selling it. So I made some um, really, in retrospect, rather hideous um, red, white, (laughs) and blue (laughs) nylon wool that I got on sale somewhere at Dickinson Jones or something. I crocheted them into into all kinds of things. And um, and I took my crochet things to Kensington Market to this lovely Indian gentleman who said, okay, I'll sell them how much? Well, you know, I knew how to make them. I didn't know how to ask for how much money I should get. And um, so I tried to be a bit bold. I don't think I made much of a profit, but I did, you know, then rush out with the money, that you know, the stuff I'd sold, get some more wool. And I was doing it all myself. And then um, everyone was burning their bras. It was sort of female independence. And I was still very virginal and uh, I was not ready to show any nipples. So I, um, but I wanted to be hip and cool and and whatever. So I had a, for some reason, a a see-through blouse and I embroidered a blue tit and a great tit, um, (laughs) very realistically on the offending places, on twigs, eating berries. And, um, and this somehow got into a a newspaper or something and uh, I, no, and, and then and then somebody said to me, "Oh, um, you should take these to to a, to a store because you like like Browns." Well, Browns at that time was one single store, and mm. um, the man who owned Browns, you know, sat there at the front. And I came in, I met him and his wife, and they looked at these things. And they said, "Look, we've got all these see through blouses. We can't sell them. We don't know what to do with them. You know, can you can do whatever you like with them. Just take them away." So. I took them away and I broidered things. I didn't actually do blue tits and great tits for that. I did other things. But whatever it was I did, um, they I brought them back and I didn't know how to ask for, you know, for the money. And uh, my cousin who was in the garment business and she said, well, what you have to do is you have to ask for double and then they bring you down to what you mm-hmm. actually want. So I got a little overconfident and I came in and asked for triple. <laughs> and they went, Great. Where's your triplicate no. order book? And my cousin literally fainted, and she was pregnant at the time, and actually a <laughs> client of my father's, her, her uncle. So I, I had to make sure she got water. I said, I'll be right back. I was 15. I ran around the corner to, I think, a Ryman's or something like that. I said, I need a triplicate order book. Okay, got it. Ran back, filled it out, had them fill it out, ran home, 
so excited. I couldn't believe it. I, I had orders to do all this and all the money, you know, I'd been given money, actual money. And, um, and so I had to get a, an accountant. And my mother's accountant said, well, you need um, a company right away, but they have these things called companies that are on the shelf. They're fully incorporated, but they're not being used. So I said, fine. And so I got a company off the shelf that happened to be called Bill Mill. So that was my first company. Kate Thornton. One of the most awful moments, I think, was, and I listened to your Prince Philip story, so it's not quite yeah. off, but it's not far off it. Um, I was at uh, one of the hotels on Park Lane hosting one of those events that you do in the ballrooms there, and it was for charity. It was for breast cancer mm. care. And I was wearing a really beautiful black pencil skirt um, that I'd worn on the X Factor, actually, and I think it was a really fancy designer one. But it just gave me a really lovely, I mean, I'm curvy. I've always had like an in and out waist. Yeah. I think, well, wear it, you know. I was doing I was doing big bums way before they were fashionable. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I've got this on and gets to the end of the show and I'm about to say, okay, this is how much money we've raised. And you, they get out one of those big comedy checks, you know. The yeah, big- yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have to invite uh, onto the stage to present this Cherie Blair, who is at the time the Prime Minister's Prime wife. wife. Yeah. Okay. So I <laughs> to the end of a catwalk to make this presentation with her. And as I walk in down, I could just hear the boom go silent. As as I pass, I hear <gasps> and all these in I thought, God, what's happened? The back of my skirt completely gone. Literally gone. And I hadn't worn knickers because it was <gasps> tight. What, so it had split up the back? Literally, I had literally the whole of my bum cleavage out, top to bottom. I've got quite a big bum, and it's, an, it's, it's all right, you know, I'm not ashamed of it. Didn't really want to put it on display in that moment with that crowd. Could you feel it going? I, I, I kind of fathomed from the crowd reaction what was happening. Cherie was so lovely. She put the fat comedy check behind me <laughs> to cover my arse. And she was a brilliant female um, sister in that moment and, and really helped me out. And I was just like, well, do you know what? Listen, I've literally just shown myself in the most unflattering light. Before we close this check off, can I just ask you all to dig deep and just donate on behalf of my humiliation and lost dignity? And I'm <laughs> well done, you. Well done, you. Dame Sheila Hancock. When I buy clothes that I've used in the show... They've usually been chosen by the designers because they match my eyes or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And I think I have a a sort of sense of style. If I have to make the effort, if I go on a television show or something like that, then I have a kind of now, thank God I should do at my age, know what suits me. Do you Mm. know what I mean? And I am fortunate that I've always been, I'm less tall now because I've shrunk, but I'm tall and slim. And that's mm. a big advantage, you know, for clothes. And, and designers mm. usually like shoving things on me because mm. they, in fact, one of the problems has always been if I'm playing a shabby part is to make me look very shabby because immediately if you're slim, things look quite good on you, you know. But I just, I hate shopping from the depths of my soul. I, my grandchildren, I buy them clothes. I love them because they do think I've got good taste and, you know, and I, I help them choose. 
But what I do, my favourite is to go to a shopping mall, which of course we can't do now, and I sit in a cafe and they put things on and come and show me. And then I say no or yes and give them money. Do you know what I mean? But I, I, would know, I went into Topshop once. I thought I'd die. I thought I was going to die. The noise of the music, trying to find somebody to speak to. and trying to find your way out. I mean, I couldn't find the exit. And I said, what happens if there's a fire, Lola? We'll never get out of this dreadful place. But it was, uh, uh, oh. oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. The thing I always wear is, well, mainly wear is this chain because it's got the wedding ring of my first marriage and my second marriage and my mum and my dad. And I have oh. that around my neck normally and, and, a, and a life um, cross that I picked up in Egypt with John. And that I and I look honestly like a bag lady. It's a wonder nobody has taken me into social services because <laughs> it's. And I wear, I wear. I got my mask on. Oh, in the case, <laughs> in the sun, I've got a massive hat that I did wear in the sixties. I'll show you that too. I'll show you that. Oh my God, you are such a scream. <laughs> I, I get cold sores, okay? So I have to shield myself from the sun. This hat is <gasps> with my mask oh my in the God. sun. And this was, I wore in the 60s, Malliard it is. It's, um, it's a very trendy hat. And, they, and his designs are now in uh, the Victoria and Albert. And it, I just Stunning. wear it as a sun hat. So that's Stunning. Is my costume, which people do a double take on, and I do get a lot of people saying, "Are you Sheila Hancock?" <laughs> no, you can't possibly be. <laughs> or were you Sheila Hancock? <laughs> Jay Blades. My love, have you ever had a wardrobe malfunction? I, I can't imagine you have because you're so anal about clothes. I had one. I had a yeah, I did have one, and this was quite recent. I think it was probably a couple of years ago. I bought these pair of jeans. Absolutely beautiful, they were. Lovely, soft, um, uh, organic, um, they were recycled denim, beautiful, made by, I'm not going to mention the, the company's name, but they were made by quite high-end people. And I had to go and refit a door on this. Um, there was a guy who was just recently been, I think it was motor neurons disease he had, um, and he was in a wheelchair, and basically he needed a, the door removed from where he was sleeping downstairs now. So I was doing that and refitting the door and, and doing bits and bobs. And I remember sitting down and I heard, and the trousers had split from the knee, inside the knee, all the way around to the other side of the knee. And it was probably one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done because I'm there with the whole family, this guy sitting in a wheelchair I'm drilling this um, and cutting out, and then there's this big rip. And the rip was so big that everybody turned around. It was like, and it was like, what's that? Oh, you're exposed. I didn't know it was that type of party. Um, so those, I, I, I haven't never bought jeans from that company ever again. Oh, God. I hope you were wearing your Marks and Spencer's trunks I, and not luckily, going commando. No, I wasn't going commando. I had shorts <laughs> underneath, but it was extremely embarrassing because obviously people look at where the rip is and then they look away because they're like, I shouldn't be looking there, but oh, hold on, 
Was he wearing pants? Was he not wearing pants? Did I see what I thought? I was, how are we going to rectify this? He hasn't fixed the door and he has to still be in that position. I'll tell you what, we'll all just turn our back on him. And that's what everybody did. They just turned oh, their back no. on me. <laughs> Edith Bowman. I think the worst one was probably when I was eight months pregnant. Okay, <laughs> that's start, not a good starting point, yeah. At BAFTA. Okay. And um, it was, uh, it was, it's got a so spike is seven, so it'll be seven years ago. And I was getting ready, put this dress on, and uh, as I was getting ready, it ripped. And thankfully, we were at the Royal Opera House, and the seamstress who basically lives there in her little seamstress cupboard, um, someone ran and got her, and she came up and she sewed me into my dress basically um but for those like 20 minutes I felt like my world had caved in and it was obviously heightened by the fact that I was very hormonal and and whatnot but I just I I I just kind of almost like fell to my knees sobbing when I kind of (laughs) when this dress when this and it was so the noise just felt like it reverberated around the room you know that kind of almost like a cartoon sound of a rip and it was like no and I just thought that's it I can't I can't do it I can't you know and it was oh it was it was horrendous for about 20 minutes and then and bless my my friend Amanda who was doing my makeup and she just kind of like knew exactly how to try and calm me down and, and she read the situation she's a mum herself and stuff and just sort of tried to you know almost like fan me down about it a bit but oh, it was terrifying and it was horrible and it made me, it just made me feel like crap because mm. I'd obviously got bigger since the last fit in and we hadn't, we obviously hadn't taken into consideration that I was going to get even bigger. Um, and, you know, and I just wanted to feel special. I wanted to look great. And with one, one bend down to the shoe and the dress literally fell apart. Baroness Saida Wasi. You were the youngest person elected to the House of Lords by a long way. Um, what was it like going there for the first time? I mean, was it intimidating? I think because I started off on the front bench, so I went to the House of Lords and then straight into a ministerial role, I really had a bit of a baptism of fire. And because I was so busy with work, um, I really didn't get a chance to kind of understand the House of Lords. I mean, there was definitely a bit of chuntering. Um, and I think there was, there, I could definitely, when I occasionally stood up, I could hear my own side chuntering. Because, uh, you know, it was, I suppose there was a sense of who is this upstart? She's 36. You know, she's a working class girl from Yorkshire and she, you know, happens also to be brown and Muslim. <laughs> she's there on the front bench doing this huge job. So I think there was a little bit of chuntering. Uh, but I think in terms of, Uh, getting used to there's lots of unwritten rules in the House of Lords and you know you can make mistakes very easily because you don't know and why would you know I mean why you know why would a girl born and raised in Dewsbury in West Yorkshire know about all these rules in the House of Lords it's not the kind of place that I've frequented Um, and I know that a couple of times I had so I have a I carry a rucksack, which most people in their 30s do in London. And um, I was told that I couldn't obviously take that in with me to the House of Lords, uh, but I could take a handbag in with me. Um, I kind of thought, I don't carry a handbag. And uh, and so I had to buy myself, uh, well, well, actually, my husband bought me this really interesting rucksack, which which looks like a tote bag. 
So you can tuck the backs into it. And so you can make it, you can walk and say, this is my handbag. But actually you can pull it out when you can stick it on your back. <laughs> so there are all these little kind of things. And I remember walking into the tea rooms once in a pair of jeans because I was just working from my office. And uh, one of the doorkeepers said, look, you know, my lady, this is not appropriate attire. We we'll let it go this time. <laughs> so I was told off because you're not supposed to go into the tea rooms in your jeans and things. So I sat, I sat there with the napkin over my legs, making sure nobody else would see it. So I think there are, you know, clothes that you can and cannot wear. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I suppose it was part of learning about these unwritten rules. David Badil. So I was a judge on the Booker Prize uh, in 2002, and. We had a big meeting at the Guild Hall or somewhere to decide the winner. And I couldn't go home because it was like a four-hour meeting. So they said, oh, look, we'll pick up your dinner suit. Um, and I said, all right, I don't quite know where it is. Um, and I don't keep it in a special place. But I think it's sort of like if you ask my person who's there, actually from my then-girlfriend, now wife, it would have been Moena probably, uh, I think it's here. Uh, and so anyway, it arrived and we judged the winner and then it's time to change. So I get it out of the package and there's my dinner jacket looking absolutely great. For some reason, I have not put the pro trousers with that. With the trousers are a pair of tight Lurex stroke PVC punk <coughs> trousers that I don't think I've worn since 1979 that don't fit me anymore, right? And that come up about halfway up my calves again, right? So <laughs> they just look like bondage trousers, basically. And it's the Booker Prize, and I don't have time to get any other trousers. So I did wear those trousers. I remember I couldn't even do them up. I had to button up my jacket because they to do them so it's not show my pants, which are on show, and just keep sitting down. I basically didn't walk about during that entire book of prize. People said, David, come over here. Come to the bar. No, it's all right. It's all right. I'm fine over here. So that was terrible. That was a big, big mishap. Day, Mr. Ransom. You turned 80 last year and you ran around the garden in your dressing gown. And it, when you were 60, you ran around the garden naked and in a big chiffon hat. Don't look at me quizzically like that. And I want to know, isn't that true? You ran around the garden in your dressing gown and then you, on your 60th birthday you ran around the garden naked with a chiffon hat. No, I read that. that. Completely wrong. Okay, well, put me right. When I was 50, I ran okay. around the garden only wearing a hat and a necklace, I think. When I was 80, what made you think I was wearing a dressing gown? I don't know. I read it somewhere. It's, it's, I read it. I can't remember where I read it. I'll sue them. Of course I wasn't wearing a dressing gown. I wasn't wearing anything. No, you were wearing something. I might have been wearing a hat. I'll have to look back at the photograph. Yeah. I wore nothing. So how are you going to celebrate being 90? Because you are going to go on forever. Same old, same old. I think the same old, same old. I quite like running around in the nude on my birthday because my birthday is at the end of June and the weather is always gorgeous. 
even when I was little, we used to have birthday parties for my, and it and my poor sister's birthday is coming up now in February, and it always had to be cancelled because there was fog or snow or ice. Mm. Whereas my birthday, she ought to have had an official birthday, mind you. This may be why she now lives in Australia. There you go. Permanent sunshine, Parmesan. I, th- I suppose I'll do the same as I have done before. I believe in repeating a good experience. I think that's a magnificent thing to do, just to liberate yourself and run around naked. I'm going to do that on my 60th birthday, which isn't too far away. Dame Jacqueline Wilson. Do you remember the cat named Bob? No. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Absolutely. I love that. Yes. James was a, a sort of busker on the streets yes. and then he adopted this cat. And, and then there was a book about it and some other books and everything. And he happens to be published by my publishers. And there was a big party held at Christmas or something. And he was there with the cat draped round his shoulders and I love cats and yet I'm astonished that this cat is so calm because you know my cat would shriek with horror and run away in in a huge crowded noisy place um so I went up to him and and asked if I could possibly you know stroke the cat and he was just lovely and Bob was just like he'd been a star all his life and just very happy to be stroked by eager people. And um, and then we, we both left quite early and he said his girlfriend was picking him up and she had read my books when she was younger and could they have a photo? So we had a photo. I didn't realise that in actual fact they put it on social media or whatever because I don't really follow very much at all. And then in the second book about Bob, they had actually mentioned me by name in the book. And so there was a first film about Bob. The second film, somebody approached me and said, would you like to play yourself? Because we're going to have the publishing party. And I said, well, yes, please. And I thought it would be fun. And it was fun in a way because um, I did get to meet the real James and also the, the actor who played him. And although Bob had been in almost semi-retirement then, um, I got to meet Bob himself. He was getting on a bit. And I got to meet about five understudy Bobs. <laughs> but And I wore my green dress. And I thought... That, because it was a publishing party, you see, that my bit was in. And I thought that might give me confidence. Unfortunately, having watched the film, which is a very good film, through fingers, (laughs) through my fingers, dear God, I am no actress, even (laughs) when I'm acting myself. (laughs) It's one of those cringe moments. So lovely film, (laughs) lovely person impersonating James, lovely Bob and all his understudies, absolute rubbish me. Dr Alex George. Literally talking to you, I completely have forgotten that you were on Love Island, which of course I'm going to have to bring up. You you are (laughs) not Dr Alex from Love Island anymore, which is... Amazing. I mean, how the hell did you get roped into that? Uh, I was, well, funny enough, so I never applied for the show. They asked me to do it. I don't know why. Don't ask me why, because I only had like 200 followers, and they DM'd me and asked me to come for an interview. And I 
uh, I watched the series before, but I was never someone to go on a show. It really, I, I'm very introverted and quite shy, actually. And um, I told one of my good friends, who was a registrar at the time, who's now a consultant at Lewisham, uh, and she was a massive fan of the show, and said, you have to go for the interview. It would be amazing. Why don't you go? Like, if you've got a place, why wouldn't you do it? And she basically pushed me into it. So I blame Anna for that. Um, and so I went to an interview, and, like, the next week, they were like, we want to start as an original. You know, it... Um, interview went very well I think I was very relaxed because I, I wasn't really you know not no disrespect to show I wasn't really particularly fussed or trying to get on it you know there's all a lot of the people there for the interview were very serious they're all in ridiculous shape and hair was perfect I turned up on a Friday <laughs> afternoon black t-shirt as I always wear a jacket and uh, my mate waiting in the pub opposite to go for a few beers because I was off on the Friday Saturday um, and I just did it relaxed and uh, there's I think of 16 people there being interviewed I was one of the last to go in. Everyone else was in and out in about 10, 15 minutes. I was there for over an hour. So I kind of knew that it was the interview went well. But I thought, because we were chatting about all sorts, about A&E, about stories. And yeah, it was it was weird. I look back now and you think it's hard to really imagine how that's gone from that and that interview and all the steps that would have happened or not happened. And then the whole show to where we are today. And like you said, it is interesting. I, I, I find very, very rarely anyone mentions Love Island anymore. And I actually sometimes because of everything that's going on, I forget that I was actually on the show. Uh, myself um but it is it's definitely it was an incredible part of the journey you know it's part of my life a big part of my life so i never shy away from that sinetra saka there was this really big audition going on in london many years ago before i had noah so i'd say it was like 2004 2004 sasha baron cohen and larry david were coming together to make this american series about an indian family that were going to settle in america and it was going to be a fly on the wall mockumentary so you were going to think this indian family have turned up in america and they don't know anything and it's going to be very ali g very you know very it's got dark humor written all over it anyway i got down to the last two for this part of playing the mum and the audition would you believe was the day before christmas eve so it was 23rd of december 2004 and the audition was at one o'clock i got up in the morning and where i lived in london in streatham there was a laundrette just down the road i had my pajama bottoms on and my gap hoodie and i had my white shirt that needed drying in the laundrette I thought, I'm going to go and get the, this. Because if you put it in the dryer, it comes out really clean and blah, blah, blah. So I was going to the dryer, closed the door behind me. And as I'm running to the laundry, I thought, oh, I haven't got my keys. And I've left the bath running. <laughs> and I've left the bath running. Right. So everything is going through my head now. I'm like, how? What the hell? What the hell? I was like, shit. So I've got this wet white shirt in my hand which needs drying I'm in my pyjama bottoms I'm looking at, at the time and it's like getting on to 12 I've got like maybe an hour and a half I go to the police station and I say I need to make a phone call I need to ask the water board to switch off my water and I need to speak to my agent and let her know I have no money no keys no shoes literally no shoes I was work I was running over to the laundrette in my socks that was the moment of my life that I remember. I, I can see it vividly. The policeman's going, sorry, love. I'm sorry, love. That's not an emergency. I was like, I have to be in Leicester Square at one o'clock. And I'm, look at, look at me. I mean, I've just about brushed my teeth, probably. So I'm speaking on the phone like this, going, Sarah, I've been locked out of my house. I'm wearing my pyjamas. And I've got a wet shirt in my hand. I've got no money. She was like, get in a taxi. I'll meet you on the other side and we'll pay for it. So black cab, ridiculous, like 40, 50 quid's worth of taxi journey. Sarah's, my agent's meeting me 
outside the agency. She gives me a hundred pounds cash and goes, go and get some clothes and get to that audition now. I'm literally running around with a white crunched up blouse in my hand. I'm running through boots. I'm using the samples. I'm sticking makeup on. I'm literally foundation the lot, looking for clothes. It's 23rd of December, Susanna. Oxford Street was manic. It was the worst day you could ever try and buy clothes. So I couldn't buy, I couldn't buy a whole outfit and I was running out of time. So I just had to, I thought I'll have to stick with the gap hoodie and just get out of pyjama bottoms. Proper checked, like checked. You couldn't pretend. And buy some shoes. So I literally bought the most ridiculous, whatever, whichever shop had the smallest queue. I think it was something like, I mean, I look back now. It was either Monsoon or River Island. One of those had the smallest queue. And I just ran, took everything. Could you take the tags off? And ran into this audition with a plastic bag with a wet white shirt in. And I sat down. I was like, oh, yeah. And they looked at me. And they, you know, I just looked like, how seriously are you taking this job, Sinatra? You know, you come in like the loungy gap hoodie and a pair of really badly fitting grey trousers that just, it just looked wrong and it was the worst audition of my life but I did tell them the story but that was my I, I don't know whether you class that as a malfunction I mean that is that I've got to say is that yeah you it is because your clothes let you down you <laughs> job because your bloody clothes let you down and to be honest that's the best story I've ever heard I can't imagine you were going round Oxford Street, shoeless, in your pyjama bottoms. I mean, that takes real balls to even do that. Most people would just go, okay, well, I'm... I'm I wanted the job too much. I'm not going to do it. It was Sasha Baron Cohen. It was like, this was the job of a lifetime. And as it turns out, I found out I was pregnant and I couldn't do it, but... (laughs) Because it... But but the point, that that's nothing to do with the story. The point was, in that moment of emergency craziness, my clothes were the only thing I couldn't rely on my clothes at all because I couldn't talk myself out of this one. I'd look ludicrous. Um, yeah, and 23rd of December, that's the really important thing, as you will know, shopping, on, no one wants to go to town that day. What happened to the bath? Oh, the bath, bless them. I mean, the police did take that one seriously and they did get the water board to switch off that my flat supply. So that was a good thing. Yolanda Brown. I move around a lot, so I get very hot and sweaty, so I don't want anything really tight. I always like my arms out, so I've got some air to breathe, and I need that freedom of movement, so it's not distracting for the music. So having things tailor-made has always been a preference of mine. Um, I'm trying to think. I think probably when I had my daughter, I moved back to my skinny jeans, uh, <laughs> and uh, sort of skinny jeans and top was kind of my look with my heels, and um even then I used to tailor make my tops because I just wanted to be able to be free to move and thankfully even doing Jules Holland's Hootenanny um the sort of military waistcoat that I was wearing yeah. um I have two of them or three of them that have tailor made for me um and just feel really nice and I can pick what top I wear underneath um so yeah style is important what do you call it Jules Holland super nanny Hootenanny Oh, Hootenanny. Yes, it's the New Year's Eve. Super Nanny. What the fuck is she talking about? That's a show waiting to happen, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Jules Holland, the Super Nanny. (laughs) (laughs) I think you'd be a good babysitter, to be fair. Just play piano to the kids. I mean, you've had all your, you know, you've won your MOBO awards. And then in, did I read in 2011, you played for... um, 
the president of Russia. Medvedev. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How did that come about? I think it was because of the MOBOs. Obviously, you get to accept your award on on BBC One at the time and get to make your speech. And, you know, it was literally after that um, my agent got a call to say, a Russian president wants you to come and play. You're up for that? Like, yeah, definitely. And it was all very sort of security, high security. I couldn't take my band because you can't have electric instruments inside there. To accompany me. So where did you go to Russia? Yeah, you went, to, went to St. Peter's. I uh, went to St. Petersburg and I played in the uh, Hermitage in the Winter Palace. And um, it was. I mean, it's so ornate. I played half of the song looking at the ceiling. I think it was just like gold dripping everywhere. And um, to accompany me, I was um, performing with uh, their the the quartet, the, the string quartet that always plays for dignitaries uh, called the Terem Quartet. And um, I thought it was just going to be a normal string quartet the way we have it here. And I got there and it was all folk instruments. So an accordion, a balalaika, massive, <laughs> a massive double bass in the size of a massive triangle in the shape of a triangle. And so we got to um, rehearse just sort of the day before. And we did sort of a nice jazz standard. Everyone knows autumn leaves. And I said to him, can I teach you some reggae? Because that's really what I play. And so in the end, we uh, we played a, a cover of an Ernest Randling track called Surfing and made some Russian reggae. And after that, they were so into it. I mean, the bass guy was strumming away, broke one of his strings in the performance. He was really into it. And uh, they invited me to their recording studio the next day to record it. It was a lovely, lovely experience. And they looked after me so well. And St. Petersburg yeah. is beautiful. Yeah, I was uh, top of my um, bucket list yeah, in Petersburg. really nice. Apparently it takes, to see every item, everything on display in the Hermitage takes three years. I'd heard that, yeah. And I can yeah. imagine, I mean, um, the ceiling alone took me the whole performance. <laughs> it w- And it would be beautiful. I didn't get to see yeah. everything, but yeah, real nice. Oh, Charlene Spiteri. I've never thought, oh, yeah. Look, I've never looked at and thought, yeah, I'm sexy, or oh, I feel I've been. I've never thought I've. This is it's never occurred to me ever. I have looked at things when, you know, I look at things like artwork on record sleeves and go, God, that's yeah. really sexy. Yeah, I, I agree. Weird is weird. I've never, I've never had this conversation, and I've never thought about it. And you've literally made me go, God, actually, I've never went sexy never in my whole life I remember years ago going to like a, a GQ or something and Charlize Theron was there and and um and I and I was introduced to, and I remember seeing her walking towards me and I'm not kidding you I could hear the music the energy walked in the joint because literally this woman was walking towards me like this and I thought oh my god is that sexy but she was really, but I wanted to sniff her because she looked like she looked like peaches and cream because mm. her skin was like she just looked like in these shoulders and she just looked. And I thought, I thought, I bet she smells really clean and fresh. And I thought, and all those things together was like that, that's sexy. But that's power, isn't it? It's not so yeah, much it was, about so that's kind of how I, yeah, yeah, that's to me. I've I looked at her and thought, well, she's sexy, you know. Now I think that's probably one of the only times. But it was it wasn't about just the way she looked. It wasn't about just but she had this smile and she had this just confidence and this just and it. But it wasn't arrogant in any way. She was so nice and just everything about her just seemed like. She just owned it. And everything that was together in that package was sexy. Tom Davis. 
One of my favourite writers who's better known as an actress is Carrie Fisher. And um, she's a devoted fan, was a devoted fan of yours. Carrie. Uh, She was my best customer uh, for three years running globally. Um, But I never, I mean, I I actually sort of discovered that after the fact if she died because I never looked at it like that. She, She came into my store, just walked in to buy some glasses and um, I, I, my store manager called me, Tom, Carrie Fisher just come to the store because he knows I'm a Star Wars fan. And it's literally, like, the phone was still dangling in the air as so I rushed off to jump in a cab and get to the store. I got in the store and I met with Carrie and I, I did my sort of routine and told her what I wanted to do and how to do it. And she announced there and then she says, Tom, you are Mr. Fisher. <laughs> uh, and, and I didn't quite get the meaning of that, but apparently it's a very rare thing she bestowed on people to make them Mr. Fisher. Uh, and, f- you know, literally after the consultation, she bought, I don't know, four or five frames that bespoke for her. Um, she invited me back to her house. Uh, and I, you know, I cooked her a curry. And, you know, because she, she doesn't, I don't go out, for, let's go out for dinner. No, I don't go out for dinner. So I cooked her a curry. She'd never had a curry before, which was amazing. Uh, so I cooked her a curry. And, and we just chatted for hours and hours and hours. And, uh, from then on, it's like she kept coming in and kept buying glasses and kept, you know, coming to see me. And, and she actually took me to the Star Wars premiere uh, as her date. And I was, it was, it was a funny thing because it was such a media circus at that time. This is The Force Awakens uh, when it came out. It's such a media circus that you could have get out of the car. Uh, and it was like, I, I found the whole thing very unpleasant. Like, I, you, 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 you think you dream of these things. You see the red carpet. Uh, and yeah, I could see, because I, I could see how distressed by the whole thing she was. And she was doing it. And I was with her, uh, walking down the carpet with her. And there's, like, the amount of photography. And I, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm, look, I'm really easygoing. And I don't get intimidated very easily at all. But, I, you know, I was holding a dog at one point because, um, because like, she asked me to. And she, says, yeah, she said, can I have Gary? So I gave her Gary. Because she wanted the shielding of the dog from the from the press, uh, and then Disney uh, lovingly sort of decided that I should go to the green room where I chatted with David Cameron and whatnot. And so the, you know, and so I left Carrie, and then I felt bad that I'd left Carrie, and and I was at this this thing talking all these mega stars, and I said, I should tell you a funny story. It's just I, I, you could, you, it's totally nothing to do with glasses. It's just. I was in the green room and it's literally the most famous room you've ever seen. And I went for a pee and on my right was Mark Hamill uh, having a pee. It's Luke Skywalker. And on my left was Simon Pegg. Washing his hands was George Lucas. Waiting for the urinal was Harrison Ford. And I kid you not, right? No. So I'm standing there having a pee and I looked to my left, I looked, right, I looked over my shoulder and I just said out loud, I said, this is the most famous piss I'm ever going to have. And... <laughs> And Simon Pegg laughed, right? And nobody else did at all. And I sort of, oh, and I left and I went and stood in the room, looked, sort of stood there on my own, like with a glass of champagne. And I found the whole thing like very, it's a, it's a very weird experience. But anyway, I, Carrie never let me give her anything for free. And, you know, I wanted to because, you know, she was my friend now and, and she, you know, I wanted to make her mm. some stuff. No, 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 no. Um, and, uh, so I decided I made her dog Gary a pair of sunglasses to say thank you um, for taking me to the Star Wars premiere. 
And, uh, and I think uh, she was really touched by that. She's a little, you know, little cry. Uh, she says, you know, Tom, you're the, you know, afterwards, because she'd, I was her official date, but she had uh, two more dates as well. But I was the one, the red carpet one. Uh, and then there's five more semi-dates and then there's seven more people in her entourage. So she literally had a, a whole sort of motorcade of people, but I was at the front. But anyway, she says, Tom, you're the only person that got it. The only person that got it and understood. You know, I didn't need you lot there. I just did it because and you're the only person that said thank you. So live like Willy Wonka and that mm. boy giving the sweetie back or whatever, the ever-laughing gobstopper. Um, but, you know, I was really grateful for, for, for taking me there. And I made Gary the dog's glasses and I tried really hard to make them out of um, uh, edible material so he could eat them, but I couldn't do it. So anyway, cherry red glasses, they fit him really well, uh, Gary the dog. Emma Barnett. Is your um, comfort blanket a hot water bottle with your endometriosis? Well, what, what's something that you take around with you that... Yes, I do have a lovely cold oh. water bottle covered in fur um, that is, is, is armour, definitely at home. I have taken it in a couple of times to work, but actually I don't do that that much. I, I think the thing I was thinking, what do I always, always wear? And you're going to laugh at this. It makes me sound about three. I always wear a vest. I've got one on now, actually, a vest. Me too. Yeah. I mean, it could be just like a cotton vest stock. Yeah. Not not like a Durga, I bought it from mm. the vest section. Mm. I, I feel naked without it. Do you wear pyjamas in bed? Do you, you don't sleep naked? Full yeah, pyjamas. Same. People who sleep naked, explain that. How do they... Or, or women I, who sleep just in like a little slinky... How are you not freezing? Or, or well, not feeling like you need to be a bit more... Yeah, I don't know what it is. There's a vulnerability about it. I, I feel very vulnerable. And I'm absolutely no reason feel no. vulnerable. But I do. It's that, that security <laughs> of being covered up. Um, Although some... some uh, my other top tip with pyjamas is I always buy a size bigger for the bottom so it's comfier, elastic, yep. if you can. Yeah, same. And also the jersey fabric as opposed to 100% cotton because that can ride up and not be very comfortable in one's nether regions. So, or, and sometimes if I do wear... Sometimes I wear a pair of pants under my pyjama bottoms because they so they don't ride up and that's a good... Too. What do you really mean a pair of pants? Like like knickers. knickers. Yeah. Oh, of course you wear knickers in your pajamas. Oh really? Do you wear knickers under your pajamas? Yes. When you go to bed. Susanna, you are the odd one here. If you think this. No, shut up. That's not true. Really? No, that's not true. No. <laughs> what you're supposed to wear knickers under your pajamas? Yeah. Why? Because you're just wearing knickers. You always need a gusset. Is that really... No. That is... I tell you... I've, okay. taught, I've taught Susanna something. Really? I mean, unless oh. I've got this completely wrong. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm 100% going to have to Google this and find out. I'm going to have to study it. Go and try and find <laughs> more information on this. That is... So there you go. Because I thought I was just being really... I was a bit embarrassed about it. Having to put knickers on under my pyjamas. You know, I don't have, like, the text message console to give me some feedback, uh, live yeah. feedback from people <laughs> listening, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be on this limb and hope I'm fully... Okay. So, um, yeah, more later on. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Susanna Constantine, and this is my wardrobe malfunction, the podcast where we begin talking about clothes, but sometimes get our knickers in a right old twist, quite literally. Those of you who heard last week's episode with Emma Barnett may remember our little discussion about whether or not one is meant to wear knickers under our pyjama bottoms. Emma said, absolutely, and I was not so sure. Anyway, the question triggered a heated debate on Woman's Hour this morning and all over the national and international newspapers and social media. We went on to conduct our first ever My Ward Mal poll and found that 32% of sleepers wear knickers in PJs, while 68% go commando. So now we know. Can I just say that this is the kind of highbrow agenda-setting conversation you won't get anywhere else? Anya Heimarch. You know, the Sister Angela example where my first day at school in a convent and Sister Angela said, and it was a generous piece of advice, she said, you know what, girls, I want to give you one really important bit of advice on your first day at school, which is if you accept that you'll never be fully satisfied, you'll have a very happy life indeed. And actually, I think having it all is, is a, such a, it's a, it's a difficult phrase. And I think that you're never fully happy or very rarely moments of being, you know, really happy. And, but that's as good as it gets. And I think we need to reframe our expectations. Um, because otherwise, I, th- I think that sometimes, um, you know, there's, there's so much sort of pressure to feel that life should be perfect. Life isn't perfect. Life isn't always fair. It's navigating your way through those obstacles and challenges and, and you know, hopefully coming out, you know, healthy and well and solvent um, and working out what makes you happy. I think there's, there's a lot of the expectations need to be um, reassessed, actually. Um, so I think having it all is, is completely unrealistic and, and unlikely. And if that's your aim, then you're always going to be unhappy. So that's, that's, that's you know, rethink it a bit. Yeah, hopes high, expectations low. I think that's that's the thing. That's that's how what the mantra I live my life by. But you, I mean, also another thing I loved that you said about you know how difficult you find it to engage in small talk, and yet you've you know I've listened to you on. I know it's not so much small talk and it's one on one, but you're so eloquent. You know, you've been doing a lot of podcasts, and obviously you do a lot of talks and things, but you're so eloquent, and I'm surprised you find small talk difficult? Well, thank you for that. Um, I think that, that it's that inane chat, I mean, a, a meaty conversation I love. It's, I'm just very bad at kind of cocktail party chat. Um, I mean, I genuinely wish I was better at it because I think it's a real skill. Um, my husband, for example, is brilliant at it and we'll chat to 
you know, to anyone about anything. I feel totally trapped and sort of scared that I'm boring people. It's just not my, it's not my skill set. But, you know, sit me down and have a deep conversation or a good sort of chat over dinner. I love. So it's just a little insecurity I have. I'm, I'm not very good at that sort of, that sort of, you know, chat that doesn't, you know, my friend calls it tiny talk, you know, where you're just sort of getting nowhere. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's who I am. And I don't, I don't have that skill, but some people do and they're brilliant. And I, I wish they taught it at school, frankly. Mel Gidroich. So when you feel insecure or if your um, no, your self-esteem is a bit low or you're homesick, do you have anything that's like a comfort blanket? That kind of, yes. It doesn't have to be something you wear. It could be a photograph. It could be anything. What do you have? I've got, um, I've got this, which is, uh, it's a, a blue, st- oh, not the freshest, it's a blue <laughs> cotton dressing gown oh it's a beautiful cotton dressing gown uh blue stripes very old school so there's a navy stripe uh, with a thin green stripe running through the navy stripe and a red stripe and a white it's it's, it's quite military actually slightly mm. military and it is indeed it's a male dressing gown and it came from one of my favorite catalogues ever the james mead catalog for james the casual mead. for the casual countryman Okay. We started to get this catalogue coming through the door. I think something my husband bought and we're now both absolutely obsessed with James Mead. I'm 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 googling look it, look him it now. Up. Hang look on, James. It up. I think my husband he gets stuff from there. I might because I, I'm quite I'm becoming more and more partial to men's clothing now. James yeah. Mead. James Mead. I, I tell you what, uh, their their pajamas are sen. Ruddy sensational. But look, but look, okay, I'm showing Mel a picture of a lady. Oh, with is there a, a lady sort of section? A scarf and a little cashmere cardi or something. And that could that's how you would dress. You need to dress oh. like that when it gets a bit colder oh. and you fall asleep in the garden. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a James Mead lady section. We yeah. just get the bloke section. And I'm, I'm sorry to say, but hello, here's another one. I've got the medium one. My husband has the large one. We have. Um, I'm sorry. Hers. His and hers. His and, and hers. I know. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm. I, I'm nestling my face with shame into the James Mead dressing gown. But I. They are so comforting, and you can wear them day or night. You can wear them in bed. You can wear them when you're out of bed. They always look quite good. They all. They make you look quite good. Is it something, because I think when you have um, a dressing gown like that, that becomes, a, it's almost like, a, it is a comfort blanket, actually. Yeah. I mean, do you wash it not very often? Because you're worried you're going to wear through it. Because I wouldn't wash it very often. No, I mean, I, at the moment, I'm looking at the James Mead dressing gown and I can see toothpaste, uh, turmeric. Okay. I think that's turmeric. God, that's middle class, isn't it? Yeah, turmeric stains terribly. Turmeric, it really does. It really does. Something I don't quite know what that is. I'm going to gloss over that. Let's move on to another stain. I don't know. Oh, yes. There's some slightly... Are you sure toothpaste is toothpaste? Listen, it's on the lapel for Pete's sake. Oh, okay. It's on the lapel. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, there's quite a bit of stainage. Oh, there's some gardening. There's, There's some evidence of gardening around the hem yeah this hasn't been washed in i'd say six months okay that's that's yeah that's fine but then okay look i'm going to show you this now 
You could you could graduate oh. to a bed jacket of the law bed jacket. Yes, I can please. see you in that. Yes, yeah, it's I'd kind like... of pale blue with a little collar and a little bit of lace detail. And I over like the night, nighty. Yeah, the hair like... is great. The hair is blooming. Look, it's, it's fabulous, isn't it? Meg, isn't it? I is that candle wick that um, bed jacket? I can't see the. Um... What do you mean candle wick? Candlewick, isn't that? Um, didn't they used to make bedspreads in the sixties? Out of uh, yeah, it looks like it's it could double up as a bedspread. Bedspread is the right size in the right size. I'm going to put money on that being candlewick, and that is fine by me because we had a lot of candlewick growing up on various. Uh, well, we did beds. too, and I I used it. We had a bedspread. I had a candlewick bedspread, and now I know what it's called. And I remember I did use it as a, ca- a comfort blanket, and I kind of. Spit on it a little bit. Suck it. To yeah, make it a bit. It. Oh, God. Yeah. You said something else. And then I'd rub it on my upper lip like that. You know, oh, I'd sort you? of rub it. So spit on it to make it even softer and then rub it on my upper lip. Oh, And the whip bedspread. That's I so interesting. Would, I would, I like getting the edges of things. So I've got the very edge of the James Mead. And I like just rubbing it against uh, the inside of my first finger. Again, I thought you were going to say something else. The, the little stiff corner on your... Oh, I'm not oh. I like rubbing it on the inside of there. my little finger. Oh, I, just, I find that really comforting. And it's, it's when you, yeah, as you rightly say, when you wash something like this, it, it's it's... It's actually really traumatic because you lose the gore, the smell. You mm. you just you need that smell, don't you? Mm. And the smell is usually probably foul to anyone else, but to you, it's just oh, it's amazing. Shirley Ballas. Now everything out of my mother's mouth is positive, and I think that that's what I've learned with her. And she's very she watches the show. She watches it. When she, she watched her series to me, you know, my son had said, oh, your face is a bit scary, mum. And so I called my mum. I said, Mark thinks I look a bit scary. She said, oh, I did this when I saw you. <laughs> Soften your edges a bit, girl. Soften your edges. They're not all in there to be world champions. She said, you just oh. bring that more lovable side of you that we all know, you know. You're not training them to win the British. So I, I thought that was uh, okay. So I was watching myself in the mirror and sort of, because I can be a little bit, come on now, Susanna, straighten that leg. What is that? You know, rather than, now, could we work a little bit more on that straight leg? I think mm. we can. Now, how could we do it? Blah, 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 blah. So I was re-practicing how I could come across positive, constructive, but myself without being scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you've nailed it, is all I can say. I wish in the moment I could have appreciated that more and um but no you're you're you are amazing and and what's even more amazing was was going you know if we go back to the beginning you grew up in in Liverpool and your parents split up when you were was it 2 years old and your mum's called Audrey is that right yes, she is oh yeah. Ords okay and Ords and your brother David and you moved into a flat on a housing estate and it was t- you know it was tough wasn't it for you at the beginning it was you know really really difficult I mean even this weekend I was we went for this little lunch and this lady jumped out and said hi Shirley and my mind's going back and I'm thinking who is this lady it ended up being a good friend of mine called Hazel Cook and I remembered her living opposite the flat and her mother had a big chest freezer 
and they used to shop at Iceland and they had all this food and we didn't even have a fridge or a telephone or my mum managed to get this little lost coal thing that kept your butter from going reezy and it all came flooding back you know all these memories from living on this child childhood estate with these friends yeah it was, it was difficult but it was community Danny Minogue Danny, you've had so many, you know, your life, such a big part of your life has been about what you've been wearing, whether you've been judging, whatever, and it's all the costume. Have you ever had a time, a wardrobe malfunction when your clothes have let you down? I think it's more me letting down the clothing. Um, I had um, uh, one of those moments that's both brilliant and horrendous at the same time so I had a clothing label in London called Project D with I remember that bestie Tabitha Webb and we had a, a a party in I think it was Selfridges and I was wearing a full-length sequin dress of ours that was just beautiful it felt gorgeous but very long with very high platform heels underneath so it's fine if you're walking on just straight ground and then cut forward to we're coming out of the event and we're just wild. We're just crazy, stupid together. Of course, we'd had a few wines. And so as we come out, I tumble down the stairs, like do the biggest, most stupid fall in this long sequin gown. And I've got false eyelashes on and jewellery and the whole bit. And I'm lo- I'm like on the floor at the bottom of these stairs. She's laughing. I can just hear her laughing at me. She's not like, oh, my God, are you okay? She's like, ah! And then there's just all these paparazzi and all I can see is like flash, 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 because it's at nighttime. So when, when it's dark, those flashes are extra, you know, um, stroby. And uh, I, I just remember I, I think I definitely let down the dress. The dress was meant to glide. And I, I did this spectacular fall. If it was the Olympics of falling, I would have got a medal. And uh, a friend of mine called me the next morning who works in PR, not the PR from who we were working with, but he said, oh, my God, that was brilliant last night. And I said, brilliant. I was still like I couldn't sleep all night. It was terrifying. It was shocking. Oh, my God, I can't even bear to, like, open up anything and, and look at the photos because, it's surely going to look even even 100 times worse than it is in my head. And he's like, oh, my God, if I was doing the PR for you, I would have pushed you down the stairs. It was <laughs> the best thing ever. And so that's what then stuck in my head. Um, and I'm like, uh, it was both horrendous and maybe pretty good, but um, very authentic, just absolutely trip down the stairs fantastic that's so good that is so good so yeah that is like a pr's dream i mean the dress won't have looked so good but the label would have been um publicized beautifully so smart very inadvertently very smart and is there any do you have a style icon is there someone whose style you um really love i've read that you were passionate or are passionate about janet jackson and you met her so is she one of your style icons I loved her growing up because I loved her music. I loved her dancing in the videos as much as I loved her brother's music and Mm. his dancing. But I felt like when I was seeing her dance, she did not look like the models on the magazines, but she really danced and got into it. And so for me, I felt like she was somebody who in some way I was identifying with that, that, 
that joy of dancing and not not being a particular body shape or a dress size to be able to just get out there and really enjoy that. So, um, yeah, she's been a hero of mine mm. for a long time and I was just stalking her on social media last night as well. She's she's in the recording studio. I see her in front of a microphone. Ah, <laughs> exciting. Tova Lee. Do you like your body? I know that's not a personality trait. Yeah. How do you feel about your body? So, again... I like my body. I like my face. I like my hair. I like my smile. I like uh, a lot of parts of my body I really like. And then a lot of the par- other parts of my body I, I just don't think about, like, you know, my elbows or my, you know, my my knees or whatever. But I, I don't like the whole love your body uh, movement. Um, mm. do, do you know what I mean? The sort of love your body. Because I, I, I actually feel it's very pressuring. Sorry. I so agree. I oh, okay. so <laughs> agree with that. It's like yeah. no woman loves every part of her body. Yeah. It's bullshit. And it put, you're right. It puts so much pressure on us. It does. It, it puts a lot of pressure. And the thing is, even that, oh, God, it comes with in waves in your life, doesn't it? Um, you know, at, at 30, I remember I did some sort of workshop and it wasn't even like a body image workshop. It was more about uh, beyond your fear, like living beyond your fear. And that's that was when I moved to London. I sort of had the courage, like, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Uh, so one of the exercises we did was we all stood in front of, this sounds so awful now, but it was really good in the moment. Okay, I promise. We stood in front of a mirror in like our underwear and or swimming suit and and looked in the mirror and they were like, what don't you like? What do you see? Like, what is it that you don't like? And I was like, my stomach, my stomach. I've never had a flat stomach. I don't like my stomach. And they just went, but do you have another stomach? And I was like, no. And then I thought, oh God, <laughs> I don't have another stomach. And it was one of those moments, you know? So that was like at the age of 30. And then it comes in waves, doesn't it? Someone told me once, God, you don't love your stomach, but do you love your elbow? You know, do you love your left pinky? And I was like, no, I don't. Like, I don't think about mm-hmm. them. So why do you think about your stomach so much? You know, that type of thing. My gosh. You must have had something where your clothes have let you down. I, I've let myself down. I don't know if my clothes did. You know what I mean? I feel like, no, but it's true. I feel like, you know, I, I wore a baseball cap far too long for a period. You know, I was just, you know, I shaved my head and wore that. And um, I would say, I would say in regards to fashion, I think the, the, the shoulder pad era for for guys, I'm 6'2", I'm quite broad anyway. And, that was not one of my favourite times when when you you know you're wearing a leather jacket and you've and it's a fairly short leather jacket and you put shoulder pads on a short jacket, um, it's really not looking right for a fella. I mean, I like the look, yeah. I like the very structured shoulder pads for the women, but not for me. It wasn't a great look for. Um, yeah, purport, the proportions would not be right. It would be like a kind of traffic sign on a very long. Yeah, it was. It, it was. It was. It was. There was a jacket I wore in a, in a song that I that we did years ago called "Cat Amongst the Pigeons," and and we I wore this beautiful Jean Paul Gaultier jacket in that video, and I still love that jacket. And it's it's beautiful. It's got this big kind of like shawl kind of hood, and it's brown leather, and it's but it's a bit short on the shoulder. Oh, is it the sheepskin one? Yeah. Is it? Is it? Yeah. 
the kind of shearling, yeah. It's leather, but the big shearling kind of massive hood over things. But these, yeah, you can't. I mean, it's very short right now. I might, have, I might have to go and get dig it out. It's in London. You know what? I I did notice that jacket because I did think, mm. and the reason I noticed it is because your head looked like a pip growing out of a flower pot. Do you know what I mean? Because you got this expanse of collar. So again, it's the proportions were all wrong. Hilarious. Well, don't hilarious. Back. Just tell me how you really feel, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> My head looked like a pip. It's too little pip growing out of a flower pot. And you know what? I've lost my wedding dress. I've got no fucking idea where it is. I don't know what I've done, <laughs> what I've done with it. How shameful is that? It's kind of shameful. You know, it's almost as bad as having a pip head. Yeah. <laughs> Jenny Bevan. For me, what everyone thought was a malfunction was what I wore to the Oscars and BAFTAs for Mad Max Fury Road, which caused a complete outcry because it was basically back pl- pleather sort of biker jacket from M&S pair of M&S jeans and some sort of biker boots and of course my shirt tails were hanging out and you know the rest of it um and, and I got you know Stephen Price is very different saying um you know I, I look like a bag lady which absolutely true but it was a sort of it was supposed to be an homage to my film because I look bloody stupid in a dress and so I would never wear a dress. I normally wear trouser suits if I'm going to try and look smart or some form of that. But but that did me no harm whatsoever. But it definitely had people... Didn't it make you feel kind of... I would have felt so exposed. How did it make you feel? I think um, because being older and, you know, being around a bit, it, it helps how you cope with this thing. I mean, I did it deliberately. I had no idea it would cause such... Um, a furore. I absolutely. I walked quite slowly to the stage because I was a bit worried there were cables and things. You know, I didn't want to trip mm. up and make. And I did notice that uh, whatever his name was was sitting looking at me, and I thought, okay, fine, whatever. Um, but I mean, the really weird thing about it all was it didn't bother me in the least, and people seemed to love the fact I wasn't pandering to, um, you know, the convention of the gown, and that it did me no harm in many many ways, but. It was really interesting coming back to England, the amount of people who then recognised me, really out of really? the blue. And I'd be, even on New Cross Railway Station, I got stopped. Oh, are you that costume designer? Oh, we loved, you know, whatever, Mad Max and all that. And so it was always positive. The And then Good. I got offered a book if I wanted to write a book, which, I mean, I just had one day maybe, but, you know, wasn't the moment. But I I was offered what's his name that Rankin took photographs oh. for a women's thing that was to do with Jude Kelly and the South Bank and I mean it was really fun and women of the world I spoke and joined the women's equality party and you know obviously still a member but um so it had a massive knock-on fabulous effect and I never worried because I knew I looked like me I mean yeah you know and Sodom if they didn't like it so I had no problem with any of the negative things which actually then they all retracted Inarati that's his name I mean I've got (laughs) I've got such a nice email was he the one like that yes exactly I've got such a wonderful email from him I know but you know I mean yeah it it was so water off a duck's back it really couldn't have I couldn't have cared less and I remember giving the speech and thinking they're going to 
blank me out, but I'm going to say that I think our film is prophetic, which, oh my God, it was. And looking down and I could see George sitting there with his owl specs smiling at me. And that that was just brilliant, you know, and, and the our Mad Max gang. And I could see um, Charlize and actually Kate Winslet was there that year, who obviously wasn't, but, you know, and I, I could just feel this sort of, and they were smiling and, and it was lovely. Brilliant. It was lovely. And it was nice to be able to say, you know, for George Miller that, you know, he made this, that, that's the reason we're all standing here. And yeah. So there fantastic. are really good sides to all this daftness. Because yeah. it is daft. Completely daft, the whole thing, you know. Well, the ceremony is daft, but the the awards aren't daft. And especially when it comes to you. Yeah, you well. deserve it. <laughs> you are very, You're very amazing. kind. But anyway, so, so it was fine. I mean, I barely think about it. So Mo Farah, are you quite a disorganised person? I'm very disorganised. Generally. You walk in my room, I've been in there for two hours, and it's a tip. Like, <laughs> you're like, you just arrived a couple of hours ago. And I'm like, yeah, I just like to be free. But that's just me. Well, my house is different. Like, Tani, my wife is totally opposite, like, organised, staffed, everything planned. And I'm like, what? And for me, I just, I don't like to make anything complicated. So I'd rather deal with it later on then try and think about it and go this 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 but then I've noticed it makes our life easier being organized so I'm still learning but I'll probably come halfway now I'm not <laughs> quite there yet but just in the middle do you have a, a disorganized mind do you have a mind that is always thinking racing yeah. racing thinking thinking yeah yeah my mind's so. always thinking about everything like I get excited I'm like yeah. this is but sometimes it's like, you get too excited, just chill out. Yeah. I could do that in yeah. running, chill out and be at the back and come right at the right time. But other things I do get excited. I'm like a little kid. It's funny, you remind me so much of my daughter, the one who ran next door <laughs> to you, started. You remind me so much of her in the way you doof, doof. think. And the, I can see your, I can feel your energy and she's exactly the same. It's just like... And she never explodes. No. It's just this, this energy that's just always... And it's exhausting to be around sometimes for other people. Yeah, sometimes you're like, there's so much. You're like, just chill out. Okay, I'm chilling. Yeah. But I've got to find something to do. And I think I was lucky enough that being able to do athletics and get into running because you can use that energy to running. And you still, I still do. But I think the key thing is like using that energy. Yeah. Faye you started, I have to talk about your past, I could talk all on and on and on about how we feel as women, but <laughs> so you started on the hotel circuit, didn't you? Mm. What was that like? Must have been horrendous, wasn't it? Or was it amazing? Well, um, I uh, was a lounge singer at the um, Hilton Hotel in Park Lane. Um, Were you? What, in Trader Vic's? Were you in Trader Vic's? No, I was in the Windows restaurant in the 27th floor. Oh, and um, we had to, I had to sing so quietly so the diners could hear themselves speak, which was so random why they had live music up there in the first place. But I can remember singing like Tina Turner, Simply the Best, but in a really quiet lounge way <laughs> with like brushes over the drums. So it wasn't too loud. Mm. Um, and it was a real um, interesting thing to do because I was taken out to um, be bought the dresses that they wanted to present me in, uh, which was an interesting shopping experience and ended up with these fabulous long dresses. I had one um, beautiful sort of 
sweetheart neckline, like big old skirt, which was fabulous. And I had like a horse net red number with like glitzy jewels all over. And I was, I mean, I must have been, what, 19, 20. Oof. And for little old me then, I was just like, wow, I've made it. I'm in London singing in a top restaurant with this beautiful, these gowns on. And yeah, that was that was a real experience. But I felt like the job itself wasn't really going anywhere. Um, it was lovely, but there was more to life, you know, and I wanted I... to do some more fun stuff, not just singing Ooh. quietly, looking pretty. That must have been very exposing doing that, much more so than being in front of a massive, almost anonymous crowd. I mean, I'm sure you recognise some of the fans who kind of follow you and make sure they get the stall seats. But to be in a smaller venue like that, in a hotel, where at the age of 19, 20, that must have been really frightening. Do you know, I had the safety of the musicians on stage with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of like, because the diners were getting on with what they were getting on with, it was almost like you were a separate entity, so it didn't feel like they were an audience, really. You were just kind of playing for yourselves and having a nice time. So I, that that didn't that didn't frighten me. What does frighten me is an audition situation when you're in stark daylight and you have people on a panel looking at you, ready to judge you, and also with my own fear of their preconception of who they think I am and it's all in my head not theirs because I actually want to get a good person for the job so they're on your side but my head doesn't tell me that that situation is just horrible (laughs) so what do you think these what do you think these people are thinking well what is their preconception of you do you think or what do you not want it to be well I kind of go I kind of think they're you know as soon as I walk in a room they're probably like Oh, there she is, blooming faith from steps, pop person. Now let's see if she can actually do the job. And I think that's what's going through my head, you know. And I've had people come out of an audition and just say, look, we're actually on your side. We want you to do a lovely job because we want to get the best person here and we think you might be it. So, <laughs> you know, that doesn't go through my head at all. I just, yeah, I just turn into a wobbly mess. Really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you what? Yeah. Yeah, I, it must be very hard because you are, you're never more judged in a situation like that. Yeah. That, that's really tough, yeah. But some people, I'm very envious of those people, have the confidence and they go, yeah, this is my tool, here it is. There you go, mm. this is who I am, this is mm. how I sound, this is what I do. And they have that amazing confidence, you know? Yeah. yeah. Charlie Hedges. So, my darling, have you had a wardrobe malfunction? Yes. Um, many, but the biggest one, and the most embarrassing, um, was I was presenting an award at this event a couple of years ago, and I can't remember the exact outfit, but I know it was a dress with, like, a bit of boobage, which I don't mm. tend to go for the boobies out, really. But also, with my boobs, even though they're not massive, I showed you them earlier, they're yeah. so heavy. They've always been really heavy. And when I bend over, they go, in, <laughs> they okay, go into, like, like okay, pyramids. At these little spaniel ears now, with the little nips down. She literally, she's got her top off and her bra off, and she's leaning forward and doing and so And they go into like little pyramids. They're the weirdest things. I don't no, know. They're gorgeous. Yeah, 
But do you know what I mean? Like they, they I always have to wear a bra because they're not massive, but yeah, they are well heavy and they just don't go all over the shop. So yeah. anyway, so I was wearing this dress and I got these like stick on, you know, the stick on bras that you can get. But I know what you mean. Yeah. So I had these bras that were like, it was stuck to me and about two minutes before I was about to go on stage, they, it broke. And honestly, one boob just literally flopped and I was like, oh my God, I, I cannot, I can't go, I cannot afford to not wear a bra. And I was thinking if I had to bend down, the pyramids are out, do you know, he's game over. He's <laughs> <laughs> career suicide. So um, uh, generally, like, I'm, I'm not fussed about whether you know something's not yeah. right on an outfit but this one I couldn't get away with anyway so there was a lovely floor manager who lended me some gaffer tape so about two minutes before I was like gaffer taping my boobs up and I mean they were the best they've ever looked <laughs> they would tell you Fantastic. that <laughs> all you need is a bit of gaffer tape sorts everything out <laughs> a nightmare to get off by the way, Charlie hasn't really been showing me her boots. I just want to make <laughs> I mean, that. I can if you want. One day no. she will. One day she will. <laughs> Lady Glen Connor. Shall I tell you my malfunction? Yeah. What's your worst wardrobe malfunction, Lady Glen Connor? Well, it was just the other day, in fact. <gasps> um, I was uh, asked um, by the Duchess of Cornwall to represent her at a Thanksgiving service of a mutual friend up here in Norfolk. And the, well, the household sends you one or two things, like a wonderful crown that you're allowed to put on in front of your car when you're going to the church. And there was a little note saying, the family don't want you to wear black. So I thought, well, okay. And this lovely lady that died um, had admired once this very, very bright green silk jacket. So I thought, well, I'll wear that a bright silk green jacket and I didn't at least I had a black hat but when I arrived there were quite a few members actually of the royal family there to my absolute horror they were all in navy blue or grey and I stood out like an awful sort of huge sort of pea red and so afterwards I, I went up to one of Mary's uh, daughters who was away I said look I do apologise, but I was told not to wear black. But I thought, well, I overdone it, and, and I just wore this bright green silk jacket because Mary had admired it. So anyway, they were very polite and said, "Oh no, it doesn't matter." Oh my goodness! <laughs> I could see me. the other members of the royal family thinking, "What on earth is Anne wearing?" <laughs> But you've always worn bright colours. I mean, you're not today. You're in a very sort of like country, country beige. This is a lovely uh, cashmere jersey. It's a bit chilly in here. Uh, yeah. And I do wear bright things. Uh, for my uh, talks, I'm talking at Alexandra Palace next week. And then I'm going to Bath and um, uh, Guildford and uh, one or two other places. And I do wear bright because if you're on a stage... Um, you know, it, it, they can see you. <laughs> so mm. uh, I, I, on the whole, I do uh, wear quite bright things w when I'm talking. And uh, my talks, really, although they are about my books, but I uh, engage with people very much. The only thing really useful that I learned uh, when I went to a uh, sort of finishing school was to learn public speaking. And we, oh. you, we used to sit in class, and then I was called Anne Cook then. And the, Miss Neville Braith would say, Anne Cook, uh, five minutes on the Firth of Forth Bridge. And you did, never knew what you were going to be asked, you know. And so up you got, and um, had to think on your feet. And actually, it, it's great 
um, because I can project my voice and I can engage with people when I'm talking. Mm. I make them laugh, actually. <laughs> I mean, uh, and they love all those sort of naughty stories about Colin. And, because Colin and Princess Margaret, you've got them in your book. But <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. You know? you, yeah, you can't help but have fun naughty well, stories. You can't help with that, exactly. But have you, would you say, were you, was there ever a time in your life where you were shy? Very, yes. Uh, I, you asked that and surprised. I, I was, actually, um, when I was young. And, and when I came out, because I had no brothers, and, you, you know, I'd always been to an all-girls school, and, um, and there weren't very many young men because they were all, um, they were doing national service. Mm. So these dances, we all had cards to write in the different... And mine was generally empty. I, 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 we always sort of write in pretend uh, people <laughs> and then rush off to the ladies' uh, cloakroom and sit there uh, because there just weren't very many men. And I was very shy. Mm. I, I, I had this tremendous ball at Holcomb, really for my father and mother. They asked all their friends. And the king and queen came. It was white tie and medals. And uh, Princess Margaret, she was lovely, she came. Um, but I, I had this absolutely so shy I didn't really mm. enjoy it which is mm. a shame if I'd had the dance a year or two later when I got to know some people I would have enjoyed it I mean mm. Colin it's came to my book like coming out dance and I never met him I, yeah I another three years and finally Dieter von Thies when I was at the Crazy Horse, when I did create one of the most difficult costumes for me to get out of, I kept a scorecard between me and the corset every night. And it's, I, I actually made like, I actually got one of those giant pairs of scissors they use for ribbon cuttings. And I had a, had it engraved with like striptease, in case of striptease emergency, use these. Uh, but, you know, so I made light of it, mm. you know, but there's always been things like that. And really, it's about what you do with it. You know, how, I've seen people, I've seen other burlesque performers who will remain nameless, <laughs> but I've seen people get angry and storm off the stage because they couldn't get their outfit off. And, you know, mm. I, it's all about show business and live performance is all about how you handle things. And people will either like you if you make a mistake. Same thing of what I was saying about the speeches. They they watch how you deal with it. It's all about how you, yeah. you know, what is it that quote about like life is what happens to you, but more importantly, how you respond to it. Same thing with wardrobe malfunction. You know, it's like I've had lots of them. I was thinking about when I went to was going to dinner with a, a guy friend of mine and leaving the house. And as soon as I was walking down the stairs, my vintage dress split right down the middle, right down the middle. I mean, full ass out. And we had a great laugh, though. And I went inside and changed. But I was like, thank goodness that happened before I got to the the restaurant you know but like and i've had you know as someone who loves vintage you know vintage is a big upkeep and you will rip out seams and you will break the heels off of shoes and all kinds of wardrobe malfunctions happen just with vintage clothes wearing in general mm -hmm. but i still love it and also you know i don't know it's not what i i can't really imagine myself running home and being like oh my god i can't believe my dress split up the ass i'd sort of probably make a i'd find a coat to put on or something or uh, something to tie around my waist i don't know and make a joke of it like everybody's already seen my yeah. you know butt crack anyway so here it is i mean that's what i love about clothes is that 
Every item, certainly for me, all I have a whole kind of cellar filled with sort of clothes from when I was working in television. And, and you know, each piece has an amazing mem memory attached to it. And it might be that because something split and it's yes. been hilarious or it might be you know when I felt my best or it might be when I got too drunk or it might be, you know every piece has a memory and that's what I love about it. That's why I'm a pack rat and I have two storage units full of my clothes I just yeah I feel very attached to things um, so I know what you mean. You made it to the end? Oh, you've got more stamina than Samoa. If that's still not enough, you can of course listen to each episode in full, all 67 of them on your chosen podcast platform. That's it. Thank you so much again to all our guests, to our house band duo, and of course, thanks to you guys for listening. Catch up soon. Until then, my wardrobe is officially closed. 